Engaging sermons on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Saul, still breathing murderous threats against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, that if he should find any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them back to Jerusalem in chains. On his journey, as he was nearing Damascus, a light from the sky suddenly flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, Who are you, sir? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, for they heard the voice, but could see no one. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. For three days he was unable to see, and neither ate nor drank. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. Ananias answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and ask at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is there praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, that he might regain his sight. But Ananias replied, Lord, I have heard from many sources about this man, what evil things he has done to your holy ones in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to imprison all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel, and I will show him what he will have to suffer for my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. Laying his hands on him, he said, Saul, my brother, the Lord has sent me, Jesus, who appeared to you on the way by which you came, that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, things like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. He got up and was baptized, and when he had eaten, he recovered his strength. He stayed some days with the disciples in Damascus, and he began at once to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Go out to all the world and tell the good news. Go out to all the world and tell the good news. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Glorify Him, all you peoples. Go out to all the world and tell the good news. For steadfast is His kindness toward us, and the fidelity of the Lord endures forever. Go out to all the world and tell the good news. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel 
according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. The Jews quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him, just as the living Father sent me. And I have life because of the Father, so also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Unlike your ancestors who ate and still died, whoever eats this bread will live forever. These things he said while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And so today we see the effects, the ongoing effects of Easter and of the resurrection in the very well-known passage of the conversion of St. Paul. Preacher to the Gentiles, author of much of the New Testament, here is a man who actually was killing Christians, persecuting and trying to stop what is called here the Way, with a capital W, that was the name for Christianity. That was the name for this early church, the way. Because it's about how we live in a way in union with God, showing what God is like, journeying towards the fullness of that life. It's a way. It's a way of life. It's a way of believing. It defines the community. It's not whatever you choose to agree with or disagree with or what you want to believe or creating your own truth or doing what you think is right because it's my morality versus your morality. None of that nonsense. It's a way. It's defined. It's identifiable. You can tell what is in accord with it and what isn't. Nowadays, we're all afraid to say what isn't. Well, not all of us, some of us, some influential people in the church, afraid to say what is or isn't acceptable to be a Christian, acceptable to be a Catholic. But if you can't define what that boundary is, well, what do you belong to? You don't belong to anything. This is a way. Again, a capital W. This is, this is a new way. This is a, a way of living. God defined the, the life of the covenant, the code of the covenant in the Old Testament when he called his people together, formed a people, set them free from slavery, gave them a leader in Moses, gave them a land. Not only were there boundaries to that land, there were boundaries to what they were supposed to believe and how they were supposed to live. There was a code of the covenant, and it was very detailed. So there is a code of the covenant today. Of course, there's big differences. We live in the spirit of Christ Jesus. We don't have the prescriptions of the old law, but we still have the foundations of the moral law and a specific, very specific way of life. So that's the first thing to take away from these readings. Of course, a second point, very interesting, is that even though the Lord himself was speaking with Paul, 
right on upon his uh, conversion in this flash of light. The Lord himself was speaking to him, and yet he said, I'm assigning uh, Ananias to come to you, and you'll be told what to do. You see how the Lord relies on human instrumentation, even though he doesn't have to? He's speaking to him right then and there. Why doesn't he tell him what to do in that conversation? Because this is how the Lord has set things up right from the very beginning, to work through human beings whom he chooses, whom he instructs, whom he empowers to carry out a particular mission. And then a third little takeaway before we get to main point here. I often call it snapshot thinking. You get an impression of somebody. It may be a negative impression. It turns you off. They say something. They do something. They fail to do something. They put some kind of post on social media that really turns you off. There's some kind of negative report about them. And you form a snapshot, not only in your mind, but in your emotions, in regard to that person. And then you keep that snapshot. You freeze it in time. You set it in stone. And that defines that person in your own mind for the rest of your life and the rest of theirs. We all do this. It's kind of natural to do this. But we have to resist doing it. Because, brothers and sisters, as you are living your life, but holding on to that frozen snapshot, that other person is living their life too, being influenced in different ways, changing course, revising their thinking, maybe having a St. Paul experience, and you don't necessarily know about it. Not that you necessarily are expected to know about it, but the point is we're expected to give people room to grow and to change. Give them some leeway in your own mind and heart. Say, okay, I have a snapshot of that person. Not to deny that what I heard or saw back then at whatever point in time was real. Not to deny that. But neither to deny that the person has continued to grow and to change. Now, some people just double down on their stupidity or their evil ways. We're not saying that either. Of course, some people refuse to change. But the point is, give them a chance. They had snapshot thinking about this man named Saul, and it was a very powerful and accurate snapshot. He was killing Christians. He was persecuting the church. He was dangerous. But the Lord was speaking to Ananias and said, Oh, no, no, things have changed. In fact, I've called him for greatness. Let's give people a chance to change. Now, the main thing here, it's an Easter repercussion, if you will. It's a fruit of the resurrection that Paul is converted. The power of Jesus' resurrection is bringing about uh, this, uh, this marvelous uh, conversion. And Paul will end up then proclaiming Christ crucified and risen. He's risen in the flesh, and as the gospel pointed out, he gives his flesh to eat and his blood to drink to his disciples. And that creates 
one body in Christ from all of us. In fact, at every Mass, not only do we invoke the Holy Spirit on the bread and wine that they may become the body and blood of Christ, but then if you listen carefully to the Eucharistic prayer, you see that it invokes the Holy Spirit on you and me, that we may become the body of Christ. United with him, whom we receive in communion, and, true, and filled with his spirit, and living as his members. We are members of the body. In another biblical analogy, we are branches on the living and true vine. And another biblical analogy, we are living stones in the temple, all of which is Christ in his fullness, the body of Christ, head and members. And that's why this astonishing verse, which we must never lose sight of, is found in this ninth chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus doesn't ask him, why are you persecuting my followers? Why are you persecuting my disciples? Why are you persecuting the Christians? Why are you persecuting me? Doesn't that remind you also of another passage where Jesus, in Matthew's Gospel, is talking about the Last Judgment? And he says that the king will say to those on his right, and on his left, whatsoever you did or failed to do, to the least of my brothers and sisters you did or you failed to do to me. I was hungry, I was thirsty, and you gave me to drink. I was in prison, I was sick. When, Lord, when did we see you? And Paul says, who are you? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting because I am alive in my followers. They don't just believe in me. They live in me, and I live in them. Why are you persecuting me, Jesus asks. And that question doesn't stand alone. If we are the living body of Christ, and he is in us, and we are in him, then he also asks, my brothers and sisters, why are you not feeding me? Why are you ignoring me? We ignore those that Jesus sends to preach his word. We are ignoring him. He who receives you receives me, Jesus said to those that he sent out to preach the gospel. He who hears you hears me. Why are you ignoring me? And Jesus Christ also asks today, why are you aborting? Because it is Christ in the womb. Yes, these children are not baptized, but they are his creation. They are made in his image, fearfully, wonderfully made, knit together in their mother's womb, as we read in Psalm 139. Why are you aborting me? Why are you not speaking up for me? Why are you not intervening to save me? You know, many St. Paul experiences have been lived through by people who once supported abortion and then turned, their, or, or turned around, turned their, their hearts and their minds around. I've helped many of them, first of all, to turn around in the first place and then to journey on that road of healing, which is a lifetime. 
I think about especially people like Bernard Nathanson. I knew him. Norma McCorvey. I was very close to her. People who were leaders, architects of the abortion movement. Norma was the Roe of Roe versus Wade. How happy she would be today to see Justice Alito's opinion that was leaked from the Supreme Court. The court is, are, is ready to obliterate Roe v. Wade. It was a St. Paul experience for these people. Many abortionists whom I've helped, former abortionists, they had done thousands of abortions. They had seen the arms, the legs, the heads of the babies. But somehow they were blind to what they were seeing. It's hard to imagine why and how this happens, but they actually would be handling, actually reassembling the body parts and not acknowledging that this is a human being just like them. And then, in a St. Paul-like moment, one day they're doing exactly the same procedure they had done thousands of times before, reassembling the body parts just as they had done thousands of times before, and they look at it and they see a human being. How do you explain that? The power of denial is very, very powerful. We can see something and deny what we're seeing. But eventually, truth breaks through the denial. Grace breaks through the darkness, the layers of lies that we tell ourselves. Oh, I'm really doing the right thing. Oh, this is not a baby. Oh, the women need my help. Praise God, these abortionists have come around. And they formed a society called the Society of Centurions. I urge you to check that out, societyofcenturions.com. But it's not only the abortionists. Countless people have changed their mind on abortion. Or if they were already pro-life, they get galvanized into a higher level of action and conviction when they see the aborted babies. I'm talking about people who have had abortions as well as people who have not had abortions, people who are 100% pro-choice, they see the images of aborted babies. Mark my words. I've been involved in every aspect of the fight against abortion for decades, full time. Nothing is more powerful. Nothing more effective, nothing has converted more people, mark my words, brothers and sisters, than seeing the images of aborted babies. Nothing. That's why we've set up a website, lookatabortion.org. That's why we challenge politicians like Biden and Pelosi, so deceived and deceiving others, to look at, look at, what they defend. They defend it, but they won't describe it. They promote it, but they won't look at it. They fund it, but they won't open their eyes to see what it is. Look at abortion.org. People look at these images, they stop in their tracks. Stop in their tracks to get an abortion. I've stood outside abortion facilities, shown people these pictures. They have stopped literally in their tracks, turned around, and gone to the pregnancy center instead of the killing center. People stop in their tracks in promoting it and justifying it and saying it's okay because they see the pictures. Don't be afraid. 
Show it to them. And when people see these pictures, there's a voice. Saul, Saul. Mary, Mary. John, John. Whatever your name is, he speaks it. Why are you aborting me? Why are you not defending my life? Jesus, speak to us again. Speak to this whole culture. Speak to our politicians. Speak to our pastors, so many of whom are too silent. Speak, Lord, because we are listening. And help us to know that whatever we do, helping or hurting, the least of our brothers and sisters, we are doing to you. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.